0: Chattahoochee, copyright 2023 by Randy Cooper. All rights reserved. No parts of this podcast may be used or reproduced by any means without the express written permission of the author. Chattahoochee, chapter eight. As they pulled into the parking lot, she giggled, This is so cool. I just love it down here. She rolled her window down just a tad. See? You can smell the river from here. Her door opened and she took the hand extended to her and got out. They walked hand in hand to the path leading into the woods. This was a really neat idea. She pulled her partner closer and hooked arms. Now, don't think i do this with everybody I meet at a bar, she paused. I think that you're very special. Well, you're very special to me too. I like your hands. I'm a hand person, you know. Thank you. You'll be enjoying more of my hands in just a few minutes. She giggled again. You've been quiet the last few minutes. You okay? Yes, I'm fine. I just have a lot of things on my mind right now. I don't want us to get lost as I'm concentrating on staying on the path. I picked out a very special place for us. I hope you like it. As long as I'm with you, I'm sure it'll be wonderful. I was thinking of you when I picked this place. Really? That is so sweet. They come to the end of the path, and there was a small clearing overlooking the river. There was a bend in the river such that the moonlight reflected over the water. I am so impressed. This is absolutely beautiful and romantic the two locked in an embrace and began to kiss i brought a blanket for us removing it from a large plastic satchel her partner spread the blanket on the ground she began to sit down pulling on the hand of her partner but was pulled up instead i want us to get naked first completely naked sure okay she shrugged and started to undress and smiled coyly as if opening a present. You look great. So do you. They were totally naked now, standing in their bare feet on the blanket. The only noise was from the frogs near the river and a distant hum of traffic from Holcomb Bridge Road not far away. Their hands intertwined, and they pulled each other closer and kissed for a moment, then looked into each other's eyes. She never saw it coming, but she felt the left side of her face sting from a strong slap. What the hell? She fell and put up her hands to defend herself, but not fast enough to block a backhand that landed on her right ear. Stop it! You're hurting me! She pleaded, crying now. One hand went around her throat, the other around her mouth. She struggled to scream as the attacker got on top of her, pinning her to the ground. Shut up, and I'll make this fast for you. At that moment, she thought she was going to be raped and was wondering why take by force what was being willingly offered. Or, if maybe all this was some sick S&M thing, she managed to say, I'll do whatever you want, just don't hurt me. The hand tightened around her throat. She struggled to speak and found she could not. The hand moved off of her mouth and joined its partner, and her head began to bang into the ground. She soon lost consciousness, and her short life was over. Her clothes were placed in the plastic satchel. The blanket neatly folded and placed on top of her clothes. Her attacker dressed and began the journey back to the parking lot. Along the way, a branch snagged against the clothing, but fighting through the brush, the lights from the parking lot soon appeared, and the escape proceeded undetected. Juan Ramirez parked his truck at the water treatment plant just off the main road. He put on his hip waders, grabbed his gear, and headed down to the shore of the river. He liked fishing in the morning, just before the sunrise as the sky was just beginning to lighten there was a mist over the river and he hoped the fish were biting today bueno suerte he said to himself as his feet hit the water today his thoughts are on mexico his beloved homeland he had been in the united states eight years he started in california as a teenager selling heroin on the streets of los angeles It was not only dangerous, but he didn't like being associated with the drug trade. He would never admit to his family what he did those first couple of years, but he sent money home faithfully and also scrimped and saved to put money away for a better life. His opportunity came when he received a letter from his madre that his Tio had a construction job available in Atlanta. With his savings, he was able to purchase a bus ticket for the trip and pay for his own room in a house with a Mexican family that were friends of his uncle. Since then, he has grown in responsibility and is now the foreman of his own framing crew. He still finds the United States intimidating, and there are many things he doesn't like here, but he rationalizes his sacrifice as an investment in his future. It's still a little scary for him to be here, And not know the language that well but he tries to learn in spite of working long hours he misses his village and especially the way of life he had in mexico he works his way up to the shore but as the sun is beginning to rise he realizes his fun is over for the day although it's saturday he'll pick up his crew and go to the job site for a full day's work he scrambles up the bank and sees her Madre de Dios, and falls on his knees, crossing himself. Tyra and I met in the parking lot of the Parsippany Arts Center, where Holcomb Bridge Road crosses the Chattahoochee River. We exchanged muffled good mornings, because we realized there was nothing good about finding another body. I knew when I was told of the location that this was the work of the same person. We followed the trail to a small clearing and saw her lying on the ground. She was laying on her side, as if she was asleep. Her eyes were open, and even before I noticed the bruises on her neck, I saw her eyes. Evidence of asphyxiation. Lord Jesus, help me, I blurted out. I didn't even realize I had verbalized that thought when Tyra looked over at me and added, may he help us all. It was then I realized I would have another grieving father on my hands that my responsibility would be to rip his guts out and tell him that his baby girl had been murdered and left like a piece of trash in the woods. We had a uniform who speaks Spanish and he helped each of us to take turns interviewing a fisherman who discovered the body. He was scared shitless about being deported and I assured him that his bravery would not be rewarded by turning him into immigration. I tried to imagine how his peaceful morning serenity was shattered by his find. A tarp had been erected over the body, tied into the trees to prevent the news helicopters from capturing this horrible scene and displaying the carnage live on Saturday morning television. I knelt down at the body and it was like a lightning bolt was shot through me when I heard her voice. Craig, help me, Craig. I stumbled back and lost my footing. My eyes began to tear up. Tyra looked at me shaken, and tried to jar me back into reality. Let's recap and see what we know. Similar location, right, he's marking the river as his territory. Same victim, young white female, early twenties, attractive. Of course a woman has to say that, yes, attractive. No evidence of any attempt made to conceal the body, this could either be escalation or he got nervous or he didn't feel like going swimming again. He took her clothes off again, Craig. Every stitch. But again, no outward signs of sexual assault. No effort made to pose the body. It's like he killed her and just dropped her. This one's blonde. Either our next one is going to be redhead or he's not showing a preference for hair color. Tyra, that looks like a handprint on her left cheek, and there's blood coming out of her right ear. He didn't choke her right away, he hit her a few times first. In my mind, this was inconsistent with our first victim, where there was no such evidence. I then considered the possibility of this being domestic violence, and maybe this could have just been a body dump. As an investigator, you have to look at all things that both prove and disprove any theory. I could see Tyra's brain clicking with mine. As much as I would like to believe this is a separate, isolated incident, I see his signature. The signature she's referring to is the telltale signs the killer consciously or unconsciously displays his victim as something he did. This is like an artist signing his masterpiece. Deep inside our humanity is an unquenchable thirst for recognition. He wants the world to know that this is his. Human beings are not far removed from our forefathers. We are territorial animals. We mark our turf with our boundaries, flags and our possessions. Look at how street gangs tag their territory with spray paint markings, not unlike the cave paintings of our ancestors they issue warnings and make proclamations for everyone to see in the same way our perpetrator was sending us a message this one was mine even more disturbing to me was his lack of concealment he's no longer ashamed he's sticking it right in my face he wants somebody to find this body and find it quickly this ups the ante significantly because of the time we discover the body is closer to the time of death. Finding the body sooner means we have a greater chance of finding usable evidence. Not submerging the body in water prevents contamination of the evidence with foreign matter and it won't wash away hair and fiber trace evidence. There is also virtually no damage to the evidence by decay or decomposition. Is he slipping up in his technique? Or is he just getting bolder? Is the killer saying, Craig, you really suck at this. So I'm going to spot you a few points. I began thinking that this son of a bitch is taunting me. He's laughing at me. He's probably home right now, watching live footage from the Fox 5 helicopter, not concerned a bit with being apprehended. Bring it on, he's saying. I'm better than you are. The next few days will be hell until we come up with an ID some family will see this on TV and an inner voice will tell them it's their daughter and they will deny 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 like a criminal defense attorney until they mistakenly believe that closure will subside their agony yo detective let me holler at you for a minute a uniform sergeant called to me he walked over to where crime scene was photographing measuring the location and placing an item into an evidence collection bag the crime scene technician handed it to me tyra and i passed it back and forth other than the fingernail it was all we had to go on so we treated it as if it were the holy grail it appeared to be a tie tack or a lapel pin i didn't recognize the logo and neither did tyra the find appeared to be fresh it was very clean Additionally, just near the find, the crime scene tech showed me a small twig snapped and broke off near a tree. Was it possible our killer stumbled off the trail, either on his way to or from the clearing? There was nothing else to indicate, though, that it did not belong to the victim either. In any case, we had something to go on until we got an ID and could start interviewing.